I'm going to kick us off with a prayer, and then we'll get into it. So if you want to close your eyes, join me. Jesus, we thank you for today and just an opportunity to gather in your name. We welcome you here and ask you to speak to us and teach us and lead us and heal us and I guess open us up to more of the reality of you and your ways and your truth. Pray that we would hear the things you're wanting to say to us today and I pray we'd be really encouraged in our journey with you. In Jesus' name, amen. So today we are finishing off our Day in the Life series. And if you are new here today, if this is your first Sunday with us, uh, it's always awkward to come in at the end. We've missed everything before a, a day like today. But we've been talking about Jesus and his life and his ministry from Mark chapter 1, one of the biographies of Jesus' life in the Bible. And today we're going to end this off by looking at Jesus in prayer. So looking a little bit at Jesus' prayer life from Mark chapter 1. And probably the reality is, is if you want to make a Christian person feel awkward and uncomfortable, you just ask them about their prayer life. Because most of us, we believe in prayer. We value prayer. We think prayer is a good, we are pro-prayer. We think the world would be a better place if there was more prayer. We just don't pray as much as we would like to, or we think we should pray. So I found this statistic today. Um, Crossway Publishing put together... Um, some research on barriers to Christians in prayer, reasons that we don't pray as much as we should, or even as much as we believe or would like to pray. And they found this, only 15% of people aren't praying because of indifference. Like thinking, you know what, prayer is not that important. Prayer isn't going to make a difference. So 85% of the people who are not praying, it's for some different reason. 13% aren't praying because they don't know what to say which is basically like, I don't really know how to pray. When I pray, I don't get much out of it. I kind of run out of words pretty fast. I'm just looking at the wall or just sitting with eyes closed and I've run out of steam. 15% don't pray because we're too busy. I'm sure that some of us in this room, we just, we're too busy to get around to it. And then 57% of Christians are not praying because of distraction. Anyone else? In the, you don't have to raise your hand at all. But I reckon that most of us in this room today are in that 85%. You, you know, we believe in prayer. We think prayer is a good thing. We're not praying as much as we want to. And that makes sense. In a city like San Diego in 2024, there's a lot to do, right? Everywhere we go, our phone is with us, which is a massive source of distraction. Um, I also just need to confess this. Uh, if you got a message from me about Snapchat last night, I feel really embarrassed. I, re I reinstalled this app. I set it up. Um, some friends of ours have been doing all the uh, filters with our daughter, and she's been absolutely loving it, just giggling her head off. So last night I set up my Snapchat account again from 20, 2002 or whenever Snapchat came out. And Andy sends me a message like 10 minutes later, like, dude, are you on Snapchat or is this, am I being fished? What's going on here? So if you got a message from me, I'm sorry. I did not know that was going out to everyone, but there's so much stuff on our phones which can take up our time. I installed Snapchat last night and I spent probably 10 minutes just watching some of the videos that popped up and laughing. It was great. Um, so we've got our phones. And then on top of that, some of us in this room have got kids who have got a word limit that they want to hit every single day. Mom and dad, why? Mom, dad, mommy, daddy, mommy, daddy, why, why? And they're going for that limit as quickly as they can. And then they've got energy that they want to burn like fuel. And they're using that up as much as they can. And you're just tired and distracted and like a little bit shaken by just your kids and some of what they're burning out. Then there's TV, which is pretty good these days. 
And there are a lot of good shows out there. And there's new good shows coming out all the time. And there's some that are worth rewatching. You know, two or three or some of you 10, 14 times just getting through those series. So there's good TV. And then we live in San Diego where the weather is amazing. And there's a lot when the weather is good to get out and do. Whether it's a hike or whether it's going to the beach. We've got some great beaches. Whether it's just exploring different parts of the city. It's a beautiful place. And then there's a new restaurant opening all the time. So I don't know if any of you know this Good Omen Coffee opening tomorrow morning in University Heights. I'm excited about that. It looks like a good thing. And then um, a few months later, just across the road from them, literally one block down, two new restaurants. Consortium is opening in collaboration with the owners of Kindred, if you knew that. So that's two just pretty much within one block. And then there's this mythical uh, Madison Pizza Place, which is meant to be opening in the same area, literally within like a two-minute walk, all of them opening in the same place. And that's just one little block of San Diego. There is new stuff opening all the time. There is so much to do, so many places to go. There's a lot of distractions. And then, of course, there's emails and work and being productive and life admin and chores and stuff like that. And there's always something that you could be doing to get ahead or get ready for the day or the week that is coming. There's a lot of things that can distract us. So this morning as we talk about prayer, I just want to say up front, my goal is not to guilt trip any of you into praying more. I, I'm on the page that most of us in this room think we should pray more and want to pray more. It's not actually a knowledge problem. It's something else that's slowing us down and stopping us from praying as much as we want to pray. So I'm convinced that we want to pray more, but I am convinced that distraction and busyness and then not knowing how to pray or not getting much out of prayer are probably the main sources that are stopping us from doing the praying that we would like to be doing. So this morning, my goal really is to help you practically to get the most out of your times of prayer, to pray more, to hear from Jesus, to spend time with him and to know where he's leading and what he's saying. And since this is a series on Jesus, a day in the life of Jesus, we're going to start by looking at Jesus in prayer. And I thought I'd start us uh, with a quote about Jesus in prayer from Pete Gregg. He leads a, a movement called 24-7 Prayer. So he's a big prayer guy. And he says this, the greatest person who ever lived was preeminently a man of prayer. Before launching out in public ministry, he fasted for more than a month in the wilderness. Before choosing his 12 disciples, he prayed all night. When he heard the devastating news that his cousin John had been executed, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. After feeding 5,000 people, he was understandably tired, but his response was to climb a mountain to pray. When the pressures of fame threatened to crush him, Jesus prayed. When he was facing his own death in the Garden of Gethsemane, bleeding with fear and failed by his friends, he prayed. Even during those unimaginable hours of physical and spiritual torment on the cross, Jesus cried out to the one who had apparently forsaken him. Jesus prayed and prayed and he prayed. So this morning we're going to look at Jesus in prayer from Mark chapter 1. And then we're going to get to those bookmarks that hopefully all of you got on your chairs. Otherwise we'll get one to you in just a little bit. And we're going to look at some practical ways that we can pray in different ways and hopefully encounter God in deeper ways too. So if you've got a Bible, you can turn to Mark 1 verse 35. Otherwise, it will come up on the screen next to me. And this passage says this. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up, went out, and made a way to a deserted place. And there he was praying. Simon and his companions searched for him. And when they found him, they said, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, 
Let's go on to the neighboring villages so that I may preach there too. This is why I have come. And in these verses, we find Jesus alone again. And I say alone again because just a few verses back, Jesus was in the desert or in the wilderness being tempted by Satan for a really extended period of time. So Jesus has just been alone in prayer. But again, a little bit later, he feels like he needs to get alone in prayer again to be with God in silence and solitude, to hear from him, to enjoy him and to be with him. So Jesus is alone in prayer again. And Luke's gospel, which is a little bit longer than Mark's, Mark's kind of fast-paced, moving along quickly, just a little bit, Lindsay. Um, Mark's gospel doesn't give us as much of Jesus in prayer as Luke likes to. Luke shows us again and again through examples and modeling that Jesus was a man of prayer. And he even says this in Luke 5, verse 16, that Jesus often withdrew to deserted places and prayed. So here in Mark 1, this isn't the only time Jesus is getting away to pray. Like he ticks that box and he's good for a couple of years. No, Jesus was often away alone with God. This was a priority for him, a regular rhythm for him. And Jesus had like a disciplined life of prayer because of the importance and priority of prayer in his life. And we read this verse, which some of you are not going to like in Mark 1 verse 35. It says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up, went out, and made his way to a deserted place, and there he was praying. Now, um, I'm growing in Bible knowledge, but I think there's some application there which we might be able to take from that verse. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark. Some of you are like, you had me at Jesus in prayer, you lost me at very early, and while it was still dark. Um, but this is prescriptive. This isn't prescriptive. This verse is not saying you need to get up early and pray in the morning. It's descriptive. It's describing Jesus' prayer life. And it does make sense that Jesus wanted to, at the beginning of the day, get up really early when there's no distractions, be with the Father at the start of the day, hear from Him, and then go into the things He's going to do out of that place of prayer. But that doesn't mean that you need to. This is descriptive, not prescriptive. Maybe you're a night person. Maybe you pray throughout the day. There, there can be different ways of praying. But this passage is describing the way Jesus is doing it here. And we've called the series A Day in the Life, but we're not exactly sure where this day begins. Uh, probably it's in verse 21. It could be a little bit before. But Mark is really describing what Jesus' life and ministry looks like and what some of the highlights or regular occurrences are going to look like. But this is still a very busy day. So in verse 21, if that's where we start, we see Jesus goes straight into the synagogue and he's teaching there. And while he's teaching, let's say in a format like this, someone starts to scream and shout out and he casts a demon out of them. And I reckon that was kind of a, an emotionally draining morning. There was a lot going on there. He was excited to leave and go and rest. And he goes back to Peter and Andrew's home where it seems like he was staying. And he's looking forward to having a meal and some downtime. But their mom is sick. She's got a fever. So Jesus goes and spends some time with her and heals her, and then they have a meal, and then the Sabbath is over, and the whole town shows up at the door for more ministry and healing, for demons to be cast out of them, to get a touch from Jesus, to get some time with Jesus. And he goes late into the night spending time with them. So we don't know what time Jesus gets into bed, but it's a draining, demanding, busy day. And what we see is that Jesus the next morning gets up very early while it was still dark, which I reckon a lot of us wouldn't do. You know, you have a busy day like that. You go, I'm going to skip my alarm tomorrow. I'm going to sleep in as long as I can and then get into the day. But Jesus, out of the busyness and the demands and all that he's done the day before, sets his alarm really early in the morning because he needs to be alone 
with God in prayer. A few years ago, there was a book that was written called Too Busy Not to Pray. And the big idea was a lot of us have very busy lives and we don't pray as much because we're so busy, but we can't. Even if we're busy, we need to prioritize prayer. But probably in our day and age, it would be like you would retitle that book, Too Distracted Not to Pray. Maybe busy is right for you. Maybe distracted is right for you. But maybe in the distraction of life, we've got to say, I'm too distracted not to make time to pray. I'm too busy not to make time to pray. I need to be alone with the Father because I've got so much going on in my life. So even though Jesus has been busy, and even though he stays up really late, he sets his alarm and he gets up very early. And there's these four verbs that describe what Jesus does. He gets up, goes out, makes his way, and then prays. So uh, I don't know if any of you read Atomic Habits, but this goes against a lot of what that book has to say. Jesus is using a lot of willpower to get up. It's not easy. I don't know if you've set your alarm early in the morning during the San Diego, like cold winter. I don't know if it counts as winter, but winter time. Your alarm goes off. You want to get up. You're like, it's pretty good in bed though, you know? You hit snooze or you cancel your alarm. Jesus is getting up and he's going out and he's leaving the house and he's finding a place to pray and then he's praying. So this is clearly something he really wants to do and something he really thinks is important. So he leaves Peter's home and he goes to a deserted place. And the Greek word therefore, a deserted place, is this word eramos, which could be translated a solitary, lonely, quiet place, kind of like the John Krasinski movie, but a little bit different. And Jesus goes there to be alone with God. Now, that word for wilderness has been used before. That's where John went to preach. And that's where he was um, baptizing people and calling people to repent. It's also where Jesus went into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. He was there for 40 days in the Eremos, in the quiet place, the lonely place, being tempted and praying. And now he goes back there again. And he goes out there with no TV, no phone, no people, no music. It's just him and God. He goes to be alone with God to pray. Remember, 57% of us are too distracted to pray or too distracted to pray as much as we want. So Jesus is cutting out all the distractions, everything he can to make sure he can make the most out of this time with his father. He goes away from everyone and he goes away for every, from everything for an extended period of time. And I was joking about this with some people yesterday. For some of us, that sounds like the dream. You're like, Gran, if I could carve out 10 minutes on my own by myself, that would be amazing. Some of you have had weeks, I know, where you are just dreaming of any solitary space. And you're like, please, can I get into the Eremos to be alone, the quiet place, away from noises and distractions and busyness? And some of you probably feel the opposite. You think, that sounds like a nightmare. Like the thought of being alone without distraction, without a phone, without being able to contact someone, without being able to check email, just without some music or something going on in my head, that sounds hard. And you'd be right. I mean, the, the science tells us that people find silence and solitude very challenging. One research um, journal in 2014, it's called Science, they had uh, researchers by the University of Virginia and Harvard who worked on this experiment and they got people to go into a room on their own for between six and 15 minutes. Six to 15 minutes. To me, that feels pretty doable, right? Six to 15 minutes. Before they went in, they gave them all an electric shock so they would know what this felt like. And they said, what do you think of the shock? They said, we would pay to not be shocked like this again. This is a horrible experience. And these people went into um, 
the laboratory on their own. They sat in this room and 67% of men and 25% of women, so well done ladies, I don't know what's wrong with the guys, chose to self-inflict a shock on themselves, one that they said they would pay to not have again, rather than spend any more time alone. They wanted to end this experiment and get out. Six to 15 minutes. 67% of guys. Guys, we've got to do better than this. It's crazy. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, we are so afraid of silence that we chase ourselves from one event to the next in order to not have to spend a moment alone with ourselves, in order not to have to look at ourselves in the mirror. Maybe some of you resonate with that today. Um, one last example of this. In her book, My Tequa's Life, Amy Crouch, writing a chapter on distraction, talks about an experience she had. Uh, she goes away with her high school youth group, and they go to this retreat that's focused on the spiritual disciplines. So they're learning about prayer and different prayer practices and being alone with God and hearing from Him. And they send these kids out after a short time of teaching to have 10 minutes alone in this retreat center to read a psalm and pray and think about it, just 10 minutes on their own. Uh, nobody else around, just enjoy that time with God. And then they come back together, and this is what the different kids say. They start complaining. One says that was boring. Another says that was terrifying. Another says I couldn't sit still. Another says I couldn't keep my mind still. I don't want to be alone with my thoughts. They're too painful. Another says I went to find my friend two minutes in. In fact, some were crying after the stress of those 10 minutes. 10 minutes of no distraction, 10 minutes that forced us to pay attention to what was going on in our hearts and our minds. And I know some of you are like, I'm down for the soul spa. I'll do 10 or 15 minutes on my own. And others of you maybe are honestly saying, I would rather have the electric shock. I don't want that time alone. I don't want to look in the mirror. I don't want to explore what's going on in my heart and mind with God. That sounds scary. It sounds terrifying. So why does Jesus choose to go into the wilderness alone? Um, Adele Elberg Calhoun, which is a real tongue twister of a name to say, uh, in her book on the spiritual discipline, says this about the purpose of solitude and silence. Solitude is a formative place because it gives God's spirit time and space to do deep work. When no one is there to watch, judge, and interpret what we say, the spirit often brings us face to face with hidden motives and compulsions. The world of recognition, achievement, and applause disappears and we stand squarely before God without props. Solitude with God was a way Jesus remained in touch with his true identity in God. And then what about silence? She writes, it is difficult to find silence in an age of technology and information. Silence challenges our cultural addiction to amusement, words, music, advertising, noise, alarms, and voices. Silence asks for patience and waiting, and both silence and waiting make us uncomfortable. They seem so unproductive. We can't tell if we are doing anything in them. So when we come upon silence, we fill it. But these two disciplines are gifts that God has given the church and that Christians have practiced for millennia. Ways to be with God in prayer, to get rid of the distractions and to experience his transformation in our hearts and in these innermost parts of who we are as we spend time alone with him away from everything else which pulls us in its direction. So Jesus is going into silence and solitude for the same reasons that we need to do that as we pray. He's going to be alone and intimate with God without any distraction. He's going to just be with God, away from doing for God. 
I think some of us have been in church for a long time and our doing defines us and our faith. Our producing for God, our, our ticking the boxes for God, our being a good Christian for God kind of gets in the way of us just being with him. And in silence to allow ourselves to see some of the deep messages and motives and narratives and scripts and stuff hiding in our soul. And to allow the spirit the room and space and time that he needs to do deep, deep work inside of us. So in the busyness and the demands and the output of his life, Jesus doesn't see this as a luxury. <laughs> he doesn't see this as an option. This is a necessity for him to make sure that he's with God and hearing from God rather than all the other voices that are around him. And Jesus is showing us that he is in the season where he is too busy not to pray. He needs to get up early. He needs to do this for his own sake and for the sake of what he's doing. Now, a lot of us in this room might agree with us. You might be like, I'm in, Grant. Like, this sounds great, but it's hard to do. I struggle to do that. I reckon that is 85% of us. We're saying, I'm in. Let's pray more. Let's do it. I just wish I could, or I just wish I did. And sometimes we just don't know how. We need the right tool. We need the right way. If you're anything like me, when I first became a Christian or first started attending church, I had someone come up to me and say, how's your quiet time going? And I go, what's a quiet time? They said, oh, it's when we read the Bible and pray. We, we spend time with God. I said, oh, is that what we do? I didn't know that was something we did, you know? And they'd say, yeah, yeah, that's what Christians do. So I'd say, well, how do I do that? And they'd say, what do you mean? You just read your Bible and pray. Just do it, you know? It was just very impractical. And probably some of us have tried to learn this on our own. We've tried to grow in this on our own, but just haven't felt like we've taken ground or grown in these areas. So this morning, we're going to look at two tools that the church has practiced for millennia to help us to grow in this and hopefully help us just to see some of the different parts and pieces that help us in prayer. We're going to look at one thing we can do in the morning at the start of the day and one thing we can do in the evening just before we go to bed. This won't take you a ton of time each day, but I think it will help you to engage with God. I, I honestly believe if every Christian did these things, you've got almost all the pieces in here to help you hear from the Spirit and be with God and be in His Word and reflect and repent and all of the different pieces that go into a healthy spiritual life. So if you've got your bookmark, you can grab it and turn to the Lectio Divina page. We designed this for you guys. Hopefully it's something you can put in your Bible or put on your desk or put in your bag or take with you wherever you go. Maybe you just want to save it on your phone and keep it with you that way. But this is just a way to help you and remind you of these as prayer prompts to help you enjoy your time with Jesus the most. So Lectio Divina is a very fancy word which it's from the Latin meaning divine reading or spiritual reading. It's a type of reading which is different to what a lot of us do today, where we're just reading for information and we're just chugging as much knowledge as we can all of the time. So I don't know if any of you are audiobook people. Um, I walked in today and there was someone who was listening to an audiobook. And in light of what I'm talking about now, I said, what speed are you listening to that on? And what speed do you think they said? 1.8. 1.8. Now, I'm that guy. I know some of you in this room are as well. I'm a 1.8 or double speed guy because you're reading for information, you know? I just, how dare you judge me from the front there? This is, I'm sharing vulnerably with you about what I do. Yeah, thank you. I'm trying to be very, no, I, because a lot of the books I read, I'm listening to for knowledge, you know? I, I'm not looking for good writing or good whatever. I just want to learn. Is there something I can take from this? Is there something I can use from this? Is there something I can apply from this? So it's fine. It's coming at me 1.8, 2. Some of you are like, 2? You're like a rookie. I'm triple speed. Let's go. 
So this is the exact opposite of that kind of reading. When we do Lectio Divina, we're slowing it right down. You're not doing this at double 1.8 speed. Maybe you're doing this at 0 0.8, 0 0.7, 0.5. We're slowing this down to read this passage, not to get information, which is the way that most of us approach reading. We're doing this to be in God's presence to experience transformation. Most of us read books to get knowledge from it. We're actually coming to God's word in a posture of prayer to let it speak to us, to let it work in us, to let it change us. So we're, we're coming quite passively to let the word do its work. So we're coming in real slow here. So we start and we pause. It's the first thing that we do. If you're doing this first thing in the morning, maybe you don't have a lot on your mind as you come into this time of prayer. But maybe you've checked your phone already, or you've got a lot on your mind from the day that's passed, or a lot on your mind because of the day ahead of you. So we need to pause and come to a stop. Get the external distractions away from us. That could be a phone, that could be TV or music or something. Just get rid of those. And then the internal distractions too, just the thoughts and fears and worries about the day, to try and surrender those to God in prayer and trust those to Him and say, God, I've got a lot on my mind right now, but would you meet me in spite of what's going on? And we come to a complete stop to be with God. This first step here, this pause is very important because we're transitioning from what we were thinking about, what we were doing to this. We want this to be the main thing, being with God, focusing on Him to be the main thing. So we pause. And then we open the scriptures and we read. And again, we're doing this at 0.8 speed, 0.5 speed. We're slowing it all the way down because uh, just getting information is not what we're about. We're sitting prayerfully with God in prayer to read this. Practically, um, I'd encourage you when you do this to read through books of the Bible, but not necessarily read really long chunks. Um, if you're anything like me, you, you might want to overachieve. I'm going to read seven chapters today. That's too much. Just read a manageable piece where you can engage with what is going on and probably go through it a couple of times. Work through a book. I used to open the Bible just wherever it opened and I'd read that chapter, which doesn't help you with the context and the, the author's intention and what God's trying to do in a book. So work through a book as you do this and read slowly and probably read shorter passages of scripture. And then we're going to meditate on that. That means read and reread. Digest it, swirl it around in your mind. In Joshua 1 and Psalm 1, it talks about this kind of reading of the scripture. And it's, it's a very different kind of active reading and pondering. Uh, you might even like mutter it, speak it out loud as a way of engaging with it. You're, you're mentally engaging with it. You're engaging with it with your eyes and you speak it out loud so that you're hearing it. Whereas Eastern meditation is about emptying your mind. Christian meditation is about filling our mind with the words of God to be transformed by the renewing of our mind with his word. So we focus on God's word. We do that with our minds until our hearts are impacted by this and God's presence comes near and we feel him with us. And then we pray. In light of what we've read, what are we going to bring before God? It might be something very personal. It might be something very obvious from the passage. It might be for yourself, for your family, for our church, for the world. But we pray in light of what we've read. And then we listen. We make time to let the Spirit speak to us in the way that He wants to. Unhurried time. Just to say, Spirit, I'm here. Is there something you want to say through this passage? Is there something completely different that you want to say to me? But I'm here. I'm available. I'm listening. 
I've been doing a spiritual direction training, and um, one of the ways they do this is they take you through a passage three times. The prompt for the first one is look out for one word as we read through this passage. And then you read it through and you look for a word. Sometimes you get one, sometimes you don't. The second prompt for this is look out for an experience in your life that connects with this passage. And again, sometimes you get one and sometimes you don't. But you're thinking of how God might be speaking through this passage to your life right now. And the third prompt is, what are you going to do in light of this passage? What does it look like to leave here and live or respond to the passage that you've just read? So we listen deeply to what the Spirit might be highlighting, and then we go out and live it. We respond to it. We, we do it. Jesus in Matthew chapter 7 encourages us not just to know His Word or read His Word or memorize His Word. He encourages us to put it into practice and live his word. And he says, if we do this, we will be wise people. And that's the idea of what we're doing here is after you say amen at the end of your time of prayer, how are you going to go out and live? In light of what you've just read, what are you going to do in response to God's word? So that's side one. As you turn over the bookmark and look at side two, the second prayer practice is called the examine. And this is something that you would do in the evening just before you go to bed. I, I mentioned this briefly a couple of weeks ago. But this is a, a technique of prayerful reflection where you look through the events of the day before you go to bed in God's presence as an act of discipleship and being with Him and rest. And I would just love you to hear this. The examine is less like a spiritual audit. I think that's how we can come to this. It's like, how did I do today? Good or bad? You know, let's put things in these two columns. How did I do today? We go through the audit. This is more like an intimate moment just before you go to bed. Pillow talk is the wrong language. I talked this through with my wife. I was like, that's going to give you the wrong connotation. But there's an intimacy in bed as you speak with a partner, or maybe even as you think of your own thoughts before you go to sleep, which I'd love you to have in mind here. You're talking through the details of the day. You're sharing it with God. You're speaking about just the, the highs and lows, the different moments of the day, so that you can actually share in that together. But you're doing that as a, an act of prayer together with God. This can take just a few minutes before you go to sleep. This doesn't have to be a long thing. But you start by replaying the day. Now, if you're a movie person, this is probably easy for you to just visualize the day and just go through it on fast forward. Just what happened in the morning? mid-morning, lunch, afternoon, evening, and end. And as you go through that, you pause along the way to think of different moments, the, the highs and lows of the day, the good, the bad, the exciting, the daunting, are the different moments, and you bring those to God in prayer. You replay the day, and then you rejoice. There, there's some moments in the day that you want to praise God and thank Him for. It could be really simple things like breakfast was so good this morning. Thank you, God, for oats. Or maybe it's that actually you had answered prayer throughout the day, or you had a work meeting that went really well, or you experienced kindness through a friend, or, or maybe it was a much bigger moment of God doing something profound. We rejoice and thank Him and worship Him in those moments. And then we repent. Some of those moments we come to along the way are not the moments we're proud of. They're moments of sin where we haven't honored God, where we haven't done the things that we want to do. And in those moments, we turn and we come to Jesus with our sin. And I just, I love the song that Ruth and Carla and Dave led us in this morning, where the lyrics said, our sins, they are many, his mercy is more. And honestly, guys, every single one of us, as we do the examine, we're going to hit sin pretty uh, often. It's going to be a lot of moments. Our sins, they are many every day. 
but His mercy is more. And one of the reasons we're doing this, again, not a spiritual audit, not just trying to get through the, the right and wrong with God. No, we're coming to Him to, to bridge those gaps which can so easily develop in our hearts. How easy it is because of sin and failings and shortcomings that we feel distance from God. And because we don't keep short accounts, those gaps can feel big. Not from His side. His mercy is more. His grace is great. He is there with us. But we feel a distance from Him because of what we've done. So in the examine, we actually come to God with our sin and we repent and we experience His grace and that gap is closed. We feel near to Him. We know that our relationship is right. We are at peace with God as we go to bed. And finally, we rest. What a beautiful gift to end the day in rest, to cease from our striving, to know in some ways we failed, in some ways we've succeeded. We've walked with Jesus and His mercy is great. And now we can go to bed knowing His forgiveness, knowing His love, knowing His kindness, and really resting in His embrace knowing that the day ahead is a new day, that we can walk with Him by His grace and do what He has called us to do. So that's the examine, and that's Lectio Divina. I don't know if Jesus was practicing either of those when He was away in the desert, when He was getting away from His disciples, but whatever He was doing, He was practicing different elements of those things. He was with God. He was speaking to God and listening to God. He was being reminded of who He was and His purpose. And that was a critical and crucial time. And I'd encourage you to use this bookmark to help you as you pray this week and into the future. There's a little bit more to the passage that we're going to end on before we take communion. So Jesus is enjoying his time alone with God. He's in the zone. Whatever part of this prayer exercise he's in, he's in the zone, enjoying the Father. And then he hears these footsteps that are getting a little bit louder as time goes on. And then he hears this voice, Jesus! Jesus, hey, Jesus, interrupting his time of prayer. You can imagine if your eyes are closed, you've been focused for a while, that this could be pretty jarring. And I could imagine almost like anxiety or fear just shooting up in Jesus as he hears this voice. And it says this in Mark 1 verse 36, Simon and his companions searched for him. And when they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. Talk about an anxious presence, right? <laughs> Jesus is just enjoying the Father, and then next, he just feels this anxiety just put on him. Jesus, everyone wants you. Everyone needs you. Come quick. We need you. Just jolting him out of this time alone with God. You know, the disciples, when they woke up, they probably found the whole town at the door again. We don't really know the detail here, but we know that people were looking for Jesus, the, the town who was at the door the night before is back after a night's sleep. They want miracles. They want healings. They want to be set free. They want teaching. They want an encounter with Jesus. They want something from him. So they're back at the door, but Jesus isn't there. And Peter and Andrew and John and James and whoever else is around create the search party and they go to find Jesus. You know why? Because Jesus doesn't want to be found. <laughs> Jesus probably got up early because he knew that these people were going to come to the door and he thought, I'm going to get ahead of this problem, and I'm going to get away from everyone so that I can do the thing that I need to do. I am going to be spending time with the Father in prayer. And when they finally found him, I assume hours later, the first thing Peter says is, everyone is looking for you. Which honestly, for me, would make me feel so anxious and stressed out. I've done the wrong thing. I've been in the wrong place. I should have been at home. The people need me. I don't know if you would feel the same thing. 
But Peter's words are almost a rebuke. All the commentators say this. Peter is telling Jesus off again because Jesus isn't where he should be at the right time, doing what he should be when the people are around. Isn't that funny? You know, if Jesus listened to Peter, he wouldn't have gone to the cross. Matthew 16, verse 22. Jesus tells him, I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to be crucified and then raised from the dead. Peter says to him, never, Lord, not you. If Jesus listened to Peter and if he listened to the crowd the whole time, there's a lot of things he wouldn't have done that the Father had called him to do. And Jesus knows that. He's got the crowd calling for him, pulling him in different directions, his disciples pulling him in different directions, wanting these things from him. He knows unless he gets to be alone with God, unless his heart is like reoriented with God's priorities, unless he's reminded what the Father says of him, his identity, unless he's reminded of his purpose from the Father, the crowd is going to give him an identity. The crowd is going to give him a purpose. They've got stuff for him to do. Jesus could be running around just following what the crowd wants from him the whole time rather than doing what God has got from him because he's not listening, because he's distracted. And how easy for all of us when we're tired, when things are stressful, and there's a lot of demands on our lives, to just go with the voices and distractions around us when it's hard to be alone with God and make time to hear his voice. Jesus knew he needed to be alone to pray if he was going to handle that challenge, that pressure, all of those voices competing for his time. And I'm not going to ask anyone to raise hands here now, but I'm wondering if you could see yourself in Peter, because I definitely can. If you are a responsible person, if you are someone who cares about other people and their needs, if you want to see other people grow and be healthy and whole, if you um, yeah, are a practical person, you're probably like Peter in this situation. They wake up, the crowds are there, and they make a plan. Let's go find Jesus and bring him back. Surely Jesus would want to be here with this crowd and meet their needs. It makes sense that they would go out. And it's very easy for us to get stuck in that kind of way of thinking when Jesus is saying we need our thinking to be shaped by time and prayer with the Father. Jesus is showing them a different way of living and operating. Peter wants to set Jesus' priorities here. Peter wants to define Jesus here. Peter wants to tell Jesus what to do here. And he needs to hear from the Father those things. Otherwise, he's going to go a path that he's not meant to go. So Jesus comes back from this time of prayer, an imperfect time of prayer, reminded of who he is and reminded of what he's here to do. Because in prayer, in this time with God, he's receiving the love of the Father. He's receiving comfort. He's receiving security. He's being reminded of who God is, that he's in control of all things. He's receiving the stuff so he doesn't need to look for it from the crowd. So it'd be so easy for Jesus to find love and approval and all sorts of things from this crowd who's around him, to look to them to give him what only he can get from intimacy with the Father. So Jesus sets them this example of the priority and necessity of prayer. But this passage also gives us a lot of hope. So I'm sure some of you are sitting there going like, okay, great, Grant, but I'm not Jesus. I'm not this prayer warrior. I'm probably not going to do this too well. But we see in Jesus' prayer time a really relatable reality. Jesus is busy and tired when he gets up to pray, like many of us feel busy and tired. He's got lots of demands on his life, like many of you have got lots of demands on your life. Some of you right now are fighting the temptation to daydream and think about the week ahead because of the demands and pressures on your life. And Jesus' precious time is interrupted and distracted. 
If you are someone who has distracted, interrupted times of prayer, so was Jesus. Isn't that cool to see? My nightmare in the mornings is I get up early sometimes and I set, uh, turn on the kettle, make myself a cup of tea because, you know, England and stuff. And um, I sit down with my Bible and my cup of tea and then I hear my daughter's white noise machine go off and I hear her feet hit the floor like this and just start moving. I'm like, it's ruined. It's done. I should have just stayed in bed. It wasn't worth it. The distraction and the interruption is coming. And yours might look different. Mine is um, a four-year-old girl named August who just comes at me hard some mornings. But we all have interruptions and distractions. And Jesus did too. But Jesus, despite all of those realities that we have, prioritized this because it was right. Even when it was imperfect. Jesus was perfect in every way. But even his times of prayer were imperfect because of these outside circumstances and situations. So we can be encouraged that even though our times of prayer might be imperfect, they are critical to us in knowing Jesus and walking with him in this world. We'll end with this. When Peter finds Jesus and tells him off and tells him their agenda for the day and where he should be and what he should be doing, like we often do with God. God, you should be doing this. You should be doing it in this way. You should be doing it in this timeline, my timeline. When Peter finds Jesus in that way and tells him the plan for the day, Jesus goes, nope, that's not what we're doing. Mark 1 verse 38, let's go on to the neighboring villages so that I may preach there too, because this is why I have come. And Jesus' doing for God flows out of his being with God. That really critical, imperfect time of prayer that he has is so important to the rest of his day and the rest of his life, keeping on track with what God has got for him. And for us, it is the same. Our doing for God, our living of our lives needs to flow out of that time if we are going to walk with him in this world. So my encouragement to you is this week, try this. Probably if you do this once or twice, you're not going to feel much of a difference. Probably this needs to become more of a, a habit in our lives that we do more regularly. But as we make time to be alone with him and his word and the spirit, and we're talking to him and listening to him, and having this intimate time at the end of the day of reflecting on what our days look like and repenting and rejoicing and resting, we will experience His grace and be empowered by His Spirit to do the things that He's called us to do. Now, it would be ideal if we had a lot more time now to actually do this as a community. But I just want to create a little bit of space for us just to sit with Him for a second. And you can respond to Him in whatever way you want. Maybe you want to rejoice. Maybe it's one of those days. Maybe it hasn't been, and as you replay this week or as you replay this morning, you need to say, God, I'm struggling right now with you, with what's going on. Maybe you need to repent of something. Maybe you need to rest into his mercy and grace and ask him to meet with you where you're at. As we talk about um, being with Jesus or sing the song, so beautiful to be in your midst, this is what I long for. It does assume that we believe that Jesus is beautiful. And it does assume that he is the kind of person we'd want to spend time with, that he is worthy, that he, he is someone who should be worshipped. But this morning we've been so encouraged, I think, with the songs and with God's word, just um, by this invitation to know him. And as we come to communion, it's another moment where we can close that gap that I spoke about earlier. That song we sang at the beginning, Our sins they are many, his mercy is more. It's true this morning as we come to worship 
as we come to the communion table. We come with many sins from the week. Um, some maybe we don't think is too significant. Some we think of as very significant. But the, the promise of the gospel is that we can know this God, that he has made a way. That the Jesus who prays and sets us an example of being with the Father, the Jesus who shows us that this is a priority and that this is worth our time, is the same one who's made a way through the cross for us to know God. Despite our many sins, his mercy is more. So as we come today, I want to encourage you to close that gap. And, and I'm talking about for yourself. The, the gap between you and God does not exist if you're a Christian. But in our minds and in our hearts, we feel that gap because of some of the things that we've done. And I'd encourage you now just to take a moment to repent and to bring that before God and to receive his embrace and his forgiveness and his love this morning. And if you have come in here today and you wouldn't have called yourself a Christian as you entered this room, as we started singing, but this morning as we've sung about Jesus and spoken about him, if you want to respond to him, this is a moment where you can allow him to close the gap by washing your sins clean by making you new and by bringing you into a relationship with God that you can experience the things that we've sung about and spoken about today. So let me pray for us and then we'll come and take communion. But Jesus, I thank you not just for the fact that you set us an example of coming to be with God, but that you've made the way for us to come to God, that you gave your life on the cross, that your body was broken and your blood was shed to deal with our sin, to deal with the gap between us and the Father. And this morning we do repent and we turn to you and we ask you to close that gap that we might feel this morning, that we would feel forgiven and feel washed clean, that we would experience your grace and that we know that the door is open from your side, that we can come into your presence and be with you. And I pray as we come and take the cup and as we eat the bread that we would experience intimacy with you and enjoy this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Adam and I are going to close you out. Um, I'll start. Uh, so something I've been reading about recently um, is the idea of like union versus communion with God. And union is one way. It's receiving God's grace as he sets us free from condemnation and gives us life. Um, and communion is a response to God's love. So we have a relationship with God, and as a relationship, like any relationship we have, there are things that we can do to help it or hinder it. And same as in any relationship, um, we can grow in our relationship with God by showing up consistently and unhurried over a, a long period of time, like our whole lives even. And while that consistency in prayer or corporate worship like this or biblical meditation or whatever on your agenda um, is not something that makes God love us more or less, but it is, they are activities that um, foster like really beautiful experiences that we can have with God because um, people that stay in relationships also grow. So when we look to these models of prayer, something I was thinking about is like that's just a way to slow down and stay, a way to stay in relationship, a way to foster that connection. Thanks, Julia. Um, hey guys, my name's Adam. I'm one of the elders here. And uh, another thing that I wanted to share as Grant was preaching this morning was um, maybe you're like me and um, you want to live a life kind of like without limits or margins. 
And uh, I think about like at work, like I want everything to be efficient, maximized. Like I want to use AI to learn everything that I can um, and just make it super efficient. Um, and when I think about like the idea of like quiet time, a lot of times I approach it like, oh, how can I fit this into my schedule as it is right now? Um, and I was just thinking about that. Maybe you there's things in your life um, or a stage of your life that you're in now um, that you actually need to mourn and say, I have a different calling now um, than what I did um, in the past. I was, I've been reading this book, um, kind of late to the game here, like with the bear, uh, but R Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. Um, and he calls, <laughs> lovingly, he says, my kids are limitation one, limitation two, limitation three. He loves his kids, but he's saying, acknowledging that he has limits of what he can do. Um, and I think for me, that resonates too, of like, I have limits to just what I can do. Um, like in my world, I would go skateboarding every day after work and that's just not a thing, right? And so in some ways, I think there's, it, you're, maybe you're calling, you are God saying, hey, you can't work 10 hours every day, you work on the weekends. I don't, he's calling you, go, no, you have to have a healthy limit on that. Um, or maybe he's calling you to ministry obligations or maybe he's calling you something to serve or care for someone. Um, and that's actually going to lead you to go, I need to do, think less of myself and actually change some of the, um, my daily, um, my daily liturgies, if you will. Um, so and maybe there's something in your life where you're saying, I need to acknowledge this, that I have limits. Um, and I can mourn that and grieve that and go, okay, God, this is what you've called me to now. Um, so I just want to leave you guys with that. And, uh, yeah, let me pray for us. Um, and then we'll close out here. Um, yeah, Jesus, thank you for these words. Thank you for, um, yeah, just how you modeled an unhurried life, um, how you modeled to spend time with God. Um, God, I pray that we would um, be imitators, not of the world, um, but of you. And what it looks like to, yeah, like to pause, to listen, um, to not approach things as everything in life has to be maximized and the most efficient that, um, to the world standards, um, but that we can slow down and listen to you, um, like Julia shared, that we can um, be in communion with you, be in relationship with you. Like I just think about how like with my kids, if I try to tell them, hey, can we just speed this up? Like this time, okay, I'm, you're done sharing. Now it's my, let's move on to the next thing what kind of relationship that would be. Um, and I think that we do that with you sometimes. We go, all right, God, I'm done. Next thing now. Um, so I just pray that we would approach a relationship with you. Um, yeah, like in communion with you as like a beautiful thing um, that we can slow, be slow to speak and um, quick to listen. And I just pray that we would, yeah, acknowledge the limits and the margins that we have, God. Yeah, we love you. Um, it's in your name we pray. Amen.